1: Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
2: Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin, the auto editor here at HowStuffWorks.com, and I'm joined by Ben. Hey, Ben, what's your title this week?
3: Oh, uh, this week, funny story, I uh, actually got promoted. I am roundhouse coordinator. Oh, very good.
1: Very good. I've been known to give somebody a roundhouse here in the hallway.
3: That is that is true, yeah. Yeah,
1: things aren't going my way.
3: Well, we've just, you know, it's, um, well, you know how it is. Sometimes in a big company, you got to cover all your bases, mm-hmm. so there haven't been that many roundhouse-related tasks for me. Mostly I'm arranging my desk. <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. Shuffling
1: papers, things like that. Yeah,
3: yeah. Just looking busy. Well, I would say that I am busy. Oh, you definitely are. So, yeah.
1: I try to walk with paper in my hand. That helps, too.
3: That, that's a good one. I've yeah. seen you doing that. Yeah. They told me to follow you specifically due to that. <laughs> hey, you know what? Yeah. One quick thing before we get going here. Yes. I saw something this weekend that I thought I would share with everybody. Is this another episode of Stuff Scott Sees? It is. <laughs>
1: Yes, because um, I thought this was really unusual, and I'm going to show you a quick picture of this, and then I'm going to take it back, because um, I, I saw one of these this weekend. I'm, I'm handing a photo over to Ben. Oh, wow, yeah. It's a it's a Maserati Merak, and I saw it in a, in a lot this weekend, a car lot, and it was rusting away to the point where you could see through the doors. That's a shame. Yeah, it was really, I mean, in terrible, terrible condition, but you look at it, and it's a ta- it's an Italian supercar, really, from the early 70s. Uh, it was built, uh, you know, like 72 to 82, and it had a V6 engine. It was like the, the Maserati Bora. If you're mm. familiar with the Bora, then you know what this looks like. It has less glass in the back. It's um, It's got two uh, great big flying buttress-type beams that come down from yeah. the, the the back, and it's, uh, it's a really awesome-looking car. But um, really unusual to see that, and I don't know, just even, you know, it shows or anything like that. And here's one rusting away on this car lot with three other... Uh, I think it was old MGs that, that were there. It's terrible. Um, yeah, I know. I, I just really unique. I mean, when you look at it, it's a beautiful mm-hmm, car. If, mm-hmm. if they could just restore it back to its original condition, but this one is in such poor condition; it needs completely redone. I mean, everything oh, wow. new,
3: all bodywork, everything. It's like a restoration that would be on a television show. Yeah, that, exa-
1: level. that level. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a complete redo. But um, anyways, I thought that was an, a unique car to see on you know, I don't know, just kind of a, by chance over the weekend.
3: Yeah, it's just sad to see. Maybe next time you see it. It'll be back to its original glory days. <laughs> I don't know. I've passed by this lot before, and
1: it appears to be kind of a graveyard. Oh. Uh, like maybe this is the last stop for this thing.
3: We should yeah, do so something it, on car graveyards. It seems
1: like maybe it's scrap metal at this point.
3: Yeah, but we should maybe in the future do one on car graveyards. Love that idea there because
1: I could comb through a, a, a junkyard for days mm-hmm. looking for things. I I don't even know what I would select out of there, but I like to just look and see what's there.
3: And also, you never know the story behind those cars or how they got there. Ah, very good, Ben. You're right, you're right cuz uh, there's always a story behind well every car really, mm-hmm. but some have uh,
1: I guess more fantastic stories behind them, right?
3: Yeah, and so what we thought we would do today is Just uh, something a little different. We're going to uh, tell everybody about a couple of cars with unusual stories. Now, we've done this before in past podcasts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've had a few Mm -hmm. that we've mentioned. What were some Uh, of the... The Batmobile. uh... Oh, yeah, that's right. Batmobile. James Bond cars. Yeah. James... Uh, James Dean. Yes, sir. we had James Dean's car? And the Cursed Spider.
1: Did I say that right? James Dean's car. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, the the Cursed Car. That's right. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and... I don't know. Maybe were there some stories in the uh, in the hearse episode? Maybe. Yep. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. I bet there were. But uh, you know what really got this this rolling for us this week was that I went to um, the show that's at the the High Museum of Art here in Atlanta, and there's a show called The Allure of the Automobile, mm. and they have um, just some fantastic examples of cars from what they call the the um, the Golden Age of, of motoring, which is according to them 1930 to 1965. So these are some, uh, you know, pre-war cars. A little bit of post-war cars. You know, just uh, beautiful, beautiful examples. You know, like Duesenberg's and Pierce Arrows and things like that. Um, some of these cars were owned by famous people. Clark Gable had a couple of cars on exhibit there. Well, mm-hmm. whoever owns them now, they were formerly owned by Clark Gable. Right. Um, Steve McQueen's car was there. Um, of course, you know, there was like a, a Stingray prototype. The you know the Bill Mitchell car that we talked yeah, about. Yeah. Not the not the green blue one, but um, mm-hmm. the silver one that they made the Stingray convertible. Um. Prototype, rather. Uh, there was a Tucker there, which I think really? would pique your interest. Yeah, yeah, that's one of your favorite cars, yes, right? Sir. And um, one of the things that really, uh, really kind of got me excited was I was reading all the little stories that went along with these cars and how mm-hmm. um, you know there's some there's some fantastic history that goes along with a car that's 90 years old. Um, so I thought maybe we'd uh, we talk about a couple of these, like just just as a quick example, so that you know what we're talking about. Yes, Put hint, no. one of one of the Clark Gable cars was a 1935 Duesenberg uh, JN Roadster, and his wife gave him this car as a gift. This Duesenberg gave him as, you know as mm-hmm. a gift for quite a gift, I'll say. But yeah. um, she died apparently in 1942, and her name was Carol Lombard. So she died, and according to the Duesenberg registry, they said that. Um, Gable Gable left instructions for the vehicle to stay in Canada and never to return to the United States, specifically to California where he lived, while he was still alive. It was just too heartbreaking for him. He didn't want to have anything to do with that car, and that's where it stayed. Uh, So he owned this Duesenberg that just remained in Canada for X number of years until he died, and then it was brought back to the States and and restored to its former glory. But, uh, I mean, that's just one... More tiny example. little history, yeah. and there's there's a lot more there's some that are far more interesting than that, than that as you go along, but um these cars are all uh restored to concour's level mm-hmm. uh so these are the types of cars that you would find at a concourse show um and a lot of them like i said they they if you talk to the owners or if you listen at the concourse shows, you'll hear a lot of these stories, sure if you go to the judging booth or where you know they can drive the vehicle through and you get to see it in motion I've, I told you, I love that part right right um, yeah. But you know you have to wait. You have to wait there as each one comes through and tells a story, and it could take you know a Hours. full day or two days even as mm-hmm. they make their way through this this uh, booth. But honestly, a lot of those stories are definitely worth it because you find out some just fantastic things in their history that you'd, you'd have no idea or no. Uh, I guess there's no no way to say why this car should even be here. It's that right. some
3: of them are very dramatic. And then when you get to that's an excellent point because when we get to a certain age with a car. You, one has to assume that there are just going to be stories that have grown up around it. True, yeah. There is not one Model T where, in I am sure in the United States, where someone goes, "Well, I don't, I don't really know how mm. that thing stayed running."
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when you look back at, uh, you look back at like the Corvette history. In nineteen fifty-three, you know, Corvette was the car to own at one point, and a lot of them, there were very limited numbers. They were hand-built. They went to a lot of um, a lot of movie stars, a lot of c- celebrities.
3: Mm -hmm. and
1: so a lot of them have a history to them and those are very desirable cars because they have this, uh, you know, you can look down the owner registry and find out who owned this vehicle and it may be, you know, an actress, an actor Mm -hmm. uh, movie star, some kind of local celebrity head of state even exactly, yeah, um, heads of industry so um, a lot of them, you know, you'll find that you know, just with age comes these great stories and and, uh, that's the case with a lot of these that we're going to talk about today we've
3: only got a couple really yeah, let's let's jump into uh, the first one
0: if you use paper, you're a human
1: Oh, you go ahead. Do you want to, do you want to go with the first one, or do you want me to? Well, I've only got the one. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. So, yeah, yeah. I got a couple. So, in right. addition to the, um, in addition to that, let me, let me you know what I'm going to skip one here. So we're doing this one. on the fly, but I'm yeah. going to show you a picture of this one right there. Okay? Oh, wow, that's nice. Light blue, huge car. It's a Rolls Royce. Rolls Royce okay. Phantom. Now, I've seen this car in person. Mm-hmm. This was at this was on display when I saw it at the uh, the Imperial Palace Hotel and Casino. In Las Vegas, it's part of the uh, the auto collections that they have there. Mm-hmm. You can you know pay five bucks or whatever it is and go up and see these cars, and they're beautiful cars. They have Johnny Carson's car there, um, his first car rather. Um, they have all kinds of automobiles, and most of them are for sale, if not all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, huge rotating collection. Well, this is a 1925 Rolls Royce Phantom, and I specifically searched this one because I remember the story. Um, forgive me if I'm reading just a little bit from this, but this comes right from the uh, the auto collections website. Um the car okay so this car was one of the first new phantoms to be built in 1925 okay it's an all-weather tour so it's a convertible but it does have the you know the side windows you can you can add those mm-hmm. um okay records show that there was an accident shortly after it was loaded onto the docks and bound for america and the the cargo ship that it was carrying this vehicle yeah. ended up on the bottom of the sea so uh, this, this vehicle, along with this 1925 Rolls-Royce Phantom, which, when you see it in person, it's like a Concours car. It's beautiful, absolutely spotless.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, this thing has been at the bottom of the ocean. And it was recovered, you know, not long after that because they knew what was on board. It was a valuable cargo, you know, so they, they brought everything back up. Uh, they sent it back to the Rolls-Royce factory, and it was completely rebuilt, and they, they put a brand new chassis on it. So the bodywork, everything else is, you know, all original. Everything is original as can be. Sure. Um and then they kept it around as their development car for the next three years of its life, and this specific vehicle was said to be the um, the personal transportation for uh, Henry Royce for that period of time. Really? Yeah. So Henry Royce of Rolls Royce fame was uh, this was his car for three years. Um, so you can imagine the value associated with something like this.
3: The car of the king. Basically. Exactly.
1: Yeah, and it it was so it was completely reconditioned uh, back to uh, by the factory in 1928. Uh, just prior to it being sold as a secondhand vehicle for a lot of what they just say a lot of money, um, <laughs> it was sold to a lady in Scotland. That, that's in quotes. Um, just wait, after, wait,
3: what's in quotes? Scotland or lady?
1: Lady is okay. because it was apparently a noble lady of some type. Uh, okay. um, they don't they don't specify who, but it was just just after the outbreak of World War II, and she donated the vehicle to be used in the Scottish division of the Red Cross. So oh. this vehicle then now they they cut the entire rear bodywork out. They they removed the whole bodywork of the, the rear end of this vehicle, and they called it chopped down, uh, but they they turned it into an ambulance. So this this Rolls Royce this twenty five Rolls Royce was an, was an ambulance at one point in its life. Wow, and it's restored back to what you know the way it was. Um, but what they said was really strange about this is because um, the color of the vehicle was changed from uh, from yellow over black. Um, let's see what it, it was. Yeah, color Vehicles previously changed to yellow over black, emulating the storyline of the Rolls-Royce Chronicle in the film The Yellow Rolls-Royce. Um, and then it was restored in the early 60s and brought back to its original color scheme, uh, which was the blue that you see here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 1967, it was shipped back again uh, to the United States um, via the Queen Elizabeth.
3: And it, so it, it made the trip
1: yeah, successfully. Is, this yeah, time. So, it's, so it's gone back and forth, and back <laughs> mm-hmm. and forth. It's this car that you know has been all over the place, and it's got this fantastic history with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, this thing—can you imagine this this vehicle being on the bottom of the ocean?
3: Uh, it's about as difficult to imagine a phantom being on the bottom of the ocean as it is to imagine a phantom as an ambulance. Right. I mean, <laughs> that's true. To be candid, very with you. true. Very true. That's crazy. That,
1: I, I know. It. So it, that's just one. This is one vehicle and, and one point in history that that all of this happened to and. Mm-hmm. It could have just ended when it when they loaded it on the dock, you know, several days after it was built, and, oh, well, we lost that one.
3: So this, this vehicle right here, this one we're starting off with, has actually been shipwrecked and uh, served in the military. Yes. Which is more than I've done with and my life. Gra- <laughs> and greatly
1: modified and then brought yeah. back and then and then mm-hmm. modified again and then brought back and just over and over. And it changes hands and it changes owners and they do what they want with it. And then eventually it comes back, you know, now it's
3: back to its original I guess glory. And what's the uh, what, what's crazy is the the question these always lead to these sort of stories always lead to is how in the heck did this thing survive and mm-hmm. is is it going to continue as this weird storied existence? I don't know. You know, because now a lot of them are safely safely locked away and supervised. It could be, but you know, let's say that it uh, you know it's going to make the trip across again. Let's say
1: that the let's owner wants, say, to, yeah, wants to ship it back again. What happens if midway it uh, you know? It, Falls over the edge again, or you know, the that uh, falls over, but you know, the ship sinks again. Sure. What happens then? Do they
3: do they restore it then? Do they bring it back up for a second resurrection? Well, you know, a huge uh, demographic of our audience uh, is composed of treasure hunters, so <laughs> hopefully, it wouldn't be down there too long. <laughs> treasure hunters, that'd it, be a cool job. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think about it on a daily basis. It's <laughs> kind of weird. You should go for it. I should. I yeah. should. Um, all right, where are we going next? Right, go ahead you and uh, get okay. the one you got there. I've got one that's a little weird. I'm going to take it down. We're, we're doing the down and the weird stuff in the beginning, mm-hmm. so maybe we'll get to a happy ending later on. Um, I'm going to butcher this, but, Scott, what I would like to tell you about is a certain 1911 Groff und Stift double Phaeton, which was uh, which was driven by Archduke Franz Ferdinand, uh on the or not driven he was riding in it used by him mm-hmm. uh on the day of his assassination mm-hmm. which you know many historians point to as the tipping point for world war one yes okay so it's you know there, there are a lot of crazy things that people will say about this but what we want to focus on is the car before i say anything about this let, let me just
1: tell is this, everyone this is, this is
3: a bad luck car this is a bad luck car. Okay, got this it. This is a this is a James Dean cursed level okay, car. Okay, got it. Which means that it's anecdotal, and there's not really a way to prove this stuff. Okay. So here's what happens. Here's what here's what they say. Um, let's see. After he was after let's start on the day of the assassination, right? Hmm. So um, after the first thing you can blame it for being cursed, right? If you want to have a racket have it rack up a body count as you could say it is indirectly responsible for 20 million deaths in world <laughs> war true yeah i guess i, I mean, think I, I think that's indirect but yeah that to say that that's
1: pretty uh that's pre- a big blanket statement so i yeah it says that
3: it does okay the internet says All right that. yeah you know this is just like i see but okay. actually the the person who says that is um listed as an intendant named Carl uh, Brunner at the Vienna Museum, okay. where the, where the phaeton is allegedly... I'd melt.
1: like it to be on the record that the car has nothing to do with the assassination.
3: I would also like that on the record, but, you know, this is part of the car's unusual story. <laughs> Understood. So, okay, so after, unfortunately, um, the Archduke and the Duchess uh, are assassinated, um, they have an, a governor of Yugoslavia who has the car restored and decides to make that his car. Now, this was... The, I've got a photo here. This was a pretty, pretty high class car, and sure. it was also painted blood red. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Uh huh. And so they, you know, it's a very controversial, exciting color. You know, makes quite an impression. So when they restore it, you can only imagine that they would have thought about the paint scheme. That comes into play later. Mm-hmm. So, governor of Yugoslavia has this vehicle. Um, allegedly, he loses his right arm in an accident. Hmm. And he has multiple accidents, and he decides that the vehicle should be destroyed. Mom always said keep your arms inside the vehicle at all times. Yes, and I know I have two, but I'd like to keep that (laughs) myself. Um, So he has a friend who's a doctor who thinks it's ridiculous that you would be superstitious about a car. So he has it, and then he drives it for a while, and apparently it overturns, and they find him dead beneath it. Hmm. And then another doctor owns it again. And then he sells it to a race driver, uh, a Swiss race driver, and uh, he dies, the race driver dies of a broken neck. A uh, farmer uh, has the car next, and this is all, of course, allegedly. I think sure. it has a bit of a conspiracy theory tang to mm-hmm. it. And then uh, two farmers die in a mysterious uh, tow car incident when the vehicle stalls and then starts of its own volition. Mm. Uh, and then... They say the last private owner was a fellow by the name of uh, Tiber Hirschfield uh, and he he decided you know what man maybe the problem here is just the red paint for some reason <laughs> so what did what did uh, mr. Hirschfield do he painted it blue and uh, he got some friends of his together and he said hey guys let's let's go on a trip um, where he and the four guests died in a head-on collision no kidding well, I mean, again, wow. there's not really a, an effective way to confirm this. You know, it's kind of a. What's, the, I mean, just roughly, what's the body count up to at this point? Because well, that's. Let's see, that's five, two, so we got seven, eight, um, nine. Wow. Not, not counting uh, the Archduke. This is crazy. So counting them, it's up to 11.
1: i got to admit, that's a little bit uh, shady. Well, that's sure, sure.
3: And how, you know, again, how are we going to verify it? But it's a, it's a great story. Um, and then. So they the car is rebuilt after this collision. So how many times has it been repaired and rebuilt? <laughs> and it's taken to a museum in Vienna. And then uh, eventually the Allied bombers bombed the building. Oh, okay. So it was uh, destroyed in the war. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But there's also a lot of skepticism, uh, which I tend to agree with, and says this story is kind of bunk. Um yeah. Because it's just, it's weird to think that people would keep rebuilding the vehicle. But uh, there's, there's debate, you know, about whether or not the one on display is the real one. And uh, there, there are a lot of people who say that the vehicle wasn't destroyed during the war. Because mm-hmm. there's this legend about the guy we mentioned earlier, Carl Bruner, how uh, someone found his hands, just his hands, on the steering wheel. Oh come on! And that's obviously not true. I had to save that <laughs> on. one for the end. Really? That's just like his that, hands. That's like that campfire story yeah. you know about the guy with the hook, with the hook who sure. comes up on the kids. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is probably also you not true. You know what, Ben?
1: Though um, honestly, this is interesting. When I went when I was uh, going through the high uh, the high museum,
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, there were there were stories of vehicles that were hidden during the war uh, behind false walls. Uh, they were just walled in with bricks or you know some type of uh, other wall. Sure. Material, uh, because uh, they, you know they didn't want them to be found, uh, to be looted during the war, and uh, they said you know some cars were buried, in vaults or they were buried just covered in plastic and buried or, or you know a material like that, but let's say burlap or something. Sure, knowing that you know in a year or two, hopefully they were thinking uh, they'd be able to unbury those vehicles and, and bring them back out without you know fear that they would be confiscated taken, using for uh, you know spoils yeah. of war I guess right um, so yeah there's a lot of stories of vehicles that uh, have been hidden away mm-hmm. during during the wartime and uh you know, especially world war two there were a lot of uh, you know this, this clandestine type thing happening just before uh, you know the enemy invaded and and
3: mm-hmm.
1: interesting that you know some of these cars made it only because of that you know that it was it was walled up and only one person knew
3: where this vehicle was for years and years and then eventually they went back and just chipped it out and it was there some still probably haven't been found because people passed away unexpectedly. You know what? So. That's that's a
1: very interesting thought because that's that happens, and well, they'll find they'll find vehicles like that. It's mm-hmm. just like a it's like a, a treasure hunt. You know, that's what they call the barn find. Yes, yeah. yes, sir. Yeah,
0: if you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian someone who lives a paper based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet, and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Get emotional
4: with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry.
3: Talk let's, about that. We've taken it. We've taken it a little bit sad. We've taken it a little bit spooky. Let's let's take it somewhere else.
1: Hmm. What do you got? I don't know if I've got anything that's less sad.
3: All right. Well then, <laughs> let's take it to downright trash. The,
1: the last two that I've got here, uh-huh. uh both have sad elements to them. Um, unfortunately, because that's that's how a lot of these cars transfer hands.
3: Yeah, um, that's true.
1: But uh, there's just some good news on the way, so we'll let's we'll go ahead and dig into it. Uh, here. I won't
3: break out the violence. I'm going to show you yet.
1: another picture of this one. This is a uh, 1937 Mercedes-Benz 540K Special Roadster. Wow! Also on display at the museum, and this is this is one of the ones maybe that uh, that got me thinking about this as a topic today. Yeah. Um, look at that. This car, if you can imagine this car, this is a huge car. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like in person, it's about. It seems like it's about 25 feet long big pipes coming out of the uh, out of the front end of it here. Yeah. Um, you know wrap around windshield, it's beautiful car, red leather interior, silver. Um, this 540k special roadster believe it or not was a graduation gift to a 16-year-old girl in Germany. What? Yeah, exactly. Her uh, she was a baroness, her name, her name was okay. uh Gisela von Krieger, that's her name, Gisela von Krieger. And so th- what happens was, you know, as the war breaks out, the family, uh, the entire von Krieger family, moves to Paris uh, when the war begins, right? And uh, then they moved on to London, mm-hmm. and of course, you know, the entire time they're fleeing the Nazis. And as one person said, it, they're, they're always one step ahead in the in mm. this fabulous five forty K, is how they they worded it. Right? Oh wow! Because it's like they're fleeing the Nazis in this in this fantastic car that we're looking at here. Um, after that, they they actually, when when Paris finally fell. Um, she was actually named one of the ten most beautiful women in the world at that point. This Baroness was, so it huh. gives you a level, you know, an idea of who, what we're dealing with here is like, you know, the upper level of society, sure. the upper echelon here. Um, so the um, after the war, the Baroness immigrated to America, and she took the, the car with her again on the Queen Mary. Okay, okay. we the Queen Mary a couple times. Yeah. Uh, so the car comes over here to the United States. Uh, she settles in Manhattan, and they have a, a homestead. In, they have a a place in Greenwich, Connecticut. And they stored the vehicle, or she stored the vehicle for over 40 years in a shed in Greenwich, Connecticut. And uh, this is beginning around 1953 until the early 1990s, Ben. Wow. Um, she died, I think, I want to I say that she died around, I thought it was 1989, uh, because they found her, I guess they, um, here's the way, the way it went down. Um, someone who was a... Um, Let's see. I want to say he was a caretaker. Yeah, I think he's a caretaker um, at the at the Greenwich grounds, the facility. Okay, sure. Um, he knew of the car, and he wanted to buy the car later in his life. He he said, "You know, I know she's got this car in storage. I want I want it. I'd like to you know put an offer in to her." So he tried to contact her, couldn't contact her. So he uh, he goes and you know convinces the landlord that you know I I need to you know talk to her, visit her in person. Yeah, exactly. So they go up and they knock on the door. Um, you know, no one's there. They go inside they discover that she's dead and she's died in just these these horrible conditions. They, oh. they called it squalor. They no. said that it's just terrible conditions. So this is Baroness mm-hmm. who's gone all the way down to this, this terrible condition. And I don't know if it's an apartment or what, but mm-hmm. um, this is the late 80s, early 90s. And held on um, to the car. Exactly. She held on to the car the entire time. She never sold that vehicle because I think it was you know probably the last uh, bit of that life that she was kind of hanging on to at that point. That's my guess of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. But... Um, you know, then it then it was finally sold. You know, it was part of the estate, and then it was finally sold to the the current owners, which are the uh, the Harringtons. And the Harringtons own a fantastic collection. It's one of these you know yeah. enormous collections like you'd find in museums. You know, this sure. is all part of one family's collection. Um, and they finally restored it to its original condition, which is what, the way we see it now. Um, and they said that the, they said it was in really like almost well almost original condition. Uh, they said the paint was peeling off of it. And they even found cigarette butts in the ashtray that had uh, the Baroness's um, the lipstick. lipstick on them. Really? And they found, a, they found a white glove underneath the underneath the seat that belonged to her. Wow. Um, so, you know, it's just interesting that this thing ever made it that long. I mean, it stayed in a shed in Connecticut for 40 years. I mean, and you look at it and it's clearly, I mean, oh, you know what? As a capper to the story, after it was restored, mm-hmm. it won best in class at Pebble Beach in 2004. So that's I mean it's the top of the top. When you're winning yeah. the Pebble Beach,
3: you know, the Conquerors event. You can't really go anywhere else. Yeah, that's right. That's uh that's the, the upper end. You can't even win the next year. No. Exactly. That's how... Exactly. Yeah. I you know what? I've gotta say, man, you're making me feel like a bit of a heel for not making it to the museum. And boy <laughs> was that story tragic. We we've got one more for him, right? I, I do, and I'm gonna give you an abbreviated version of this one because this is a uh, this is a
1: complex Really complex one. This is um, a boondoggle. Yeah, I'm going to give you a, a picture here. Oh wow! Okay, and a lot of a lot yeah. of readers will have have read about this or seen this in the in the past years. I've I've heard about this thing for about 10 years now. Um, that's how long it's been in the in the news. Um, it's about the missing Daytona coupe, and a lot of people say, "Oh yeah, I know about that one right away." And other people this, are
3: going go on. This is one of the strangest
1: stories you will ever hear about a car, and I I. Encourage everybody to read about this one because the the the, uh, the version I'm going to give you here is just the uh, the Cliff Notes version. Uh, super fast, but there's so much to this story. Um, it's tough to even begin. Begin. You've got a picture in front of you, right? Yes. Wh- what do you see when you see that that car? What do you, What do you say when you look at that picture?
3: Well, first off, you can tell this car is definitely made for speed. You can tell it's been through something, mm-hmm. been through a lot uh, because the the paint is messed up there's mm-hmm. dirt there's looks like there's some corrosion those tires are busted mm-hmm. and uh you know the hubcaps looking rough doesn't even look like it's got uh the windows on no. the driver's side nope
1: it's all broken down it's got body filler it's got mm-hmm. looks like somebody uh scribbled something in yellow pen yeah. on yeah. the side maybe uh paint of some kind hand handwritten script it looks like it just barely made it out of wherever it made it it's it's a rough-looking car, to say the least, right? Yes. Okay. This is the uh, now. Just so you know what we're talking about, this is one of the, um, this is one of the uh, the the Shelby Cobra Roadsters, one of the six that were ever made. Okay, and that should give you an idea right there. Yeah. But that car right there that you're looking at is mm-hmm. worth four million dollars. As is. As is. Wow. As is. Yep. And that's uh, that's what it's, that's what it eventually went for. But there's a really complicated story that goes along with it, and it goes all the way back to, of course, Carroll Shelby. Um, He was working on on these roadsters trying to beat Ferrari Mm in its class. I think it was a GT class at the time. Uh, Because, you know, Ford had that intense uh, competition with Ferrari at one point. You know, they wanted to buy them wood and said, okay, we'll beat you at your own game, Mm -hmm. et cetera. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then Ford decided that he wants uh, Shelby to concentrate on the GT40 program, which, you know, is highly successful. Sure. But he had to give up this uh, Daytona Cobra Coupe project that he was on, and they made six cars only. So he uh, he pretty much, yeah, I guess he just put the, Shelby put the cars up for sale. You know, these race cars are up for sale. Got to recoup your losses. Exactly. And, uh, you know, the, the specific one they're talking about is CSX 2287. And that was the first one that they made. And that one was uh, sold originally to, and I'm going to just go through this quick, I, I swear, Jim Russell, <laughs> who was a uh, was a slot car shop owner in, um, where was it? Somewhere in California. We also did slot cars. Just a plug. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he owned uh, kit slot cars, and uh, I thought it was in California. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he sold he sells the car to Phil
3: Spector. Phil Spector, the the Wall of Sound producer, exactly. Famous for his work with he the sells, Beatles.
1: He sells the car to Phil Spector. Now that was some kind of an odd thing, because um, there's another part of that story here where it says that when he tried to sell it, he couldn't talk directly to Phil. Uh, because he's a bit of a recluse, right? Right. So he had this lawyer with him and he drove it up to the house and he had to he had to stay outside with the car and his his lawyer went between the house and outside making the deal until they agreed on a price and I think it was like seventy five hundred bucks for this car. And finally Phil came out and he signed the check and handed it to him and that was how the deal was done. That's it. That's it. And he saw him just that one time and that was it. Now Phil, you know, he's a recluse like they say, and that's somebody who usually hides away. He's the one who painted all that stuff on the side the side of the car on the doors um, and it says things like you know holder of uh, you know X number of speed records on the Bonneville Salt Flats and driven by this person and won mm. this race and it's it's the history of the car it's that the he, genealogy almost it's the general. genealogy of the car that he wrote out on the side of the car now is that somebody who doesn't want attention?
3: That is someone who wants uh, attention, at least for their car. I, or... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I guess he racked
1: up a ton of speeding tickets in the car uh, because it's a, it's a race car, right? <laughs> right. And he's yeah. got it on the street, so he you know he eventually decides like I got to get rid of this thing. Or somebody advises him to get rid of it. I think the parking tickets alone, um, Philip. He took a, he took a shop he took it to a shop to see about you know converting it to street use because. It, it it was already on the street, but it was getting really hot inside because that's yeah. what race cars do. Sure, and you know it just wasn't a, it wasn't a street car. Let's Comfort get it, let's, is not part of the let's equation. Be honest about yeah. this, right? So the the um, the mechanic says that it would cost him a lot of money to convert it to a typical street car because you know it's it's very raw in the condition it's in right sure. now. And he says that the the mechanic offered to scrap it for eight hundred bucks. Okay, <laughs> so Phil says no way. I'm going to take it home, and this is where. The story deviates in a lot of cases because this eventually goes to court in modern day. Okay, okay. Um, Phil apparently now this is all just hearsay, right? Hearsay. Okay, he apparently sold it to his bodyguard for about a thousand dollars because you know he was saying that he would have scrapped it for eight hundred bucks. He right. said, "I'll give it to my bodyguard for a thousand bucks." His bodyguard's name was uh, George Brand. Now George gave it to gave it to his daughter. Her name is Donna, uh, Donna O'Hara, and Donna stashed away the car wouldn't tell anybody where it was she kept she had a storage locker right okay she puts it in the storage locker and it just sat there it sat there for 30 years
3: oh god 30 years no wonder no wonder was so it also beat up
1: i know it's unbelievable so okay fast you know we go all the way forward to 2000 year 2000 yeah we're nearing the end here ben I no no
3: from the 70s to yeah
1: we're up to 2000 now okay yeah. so this is 30 years later On October 22nd of the year 2000, they find Donna O'Hara on a... uh, I think she's on a hiking trail. Okay. You know what immolation is? Yes. She had Set herself on fire. She set herself on fire. She had a couple of gallons of gasoline. She poured half of one onto herself. Oh, no. Lit herself on fire. Didn't do the job. Didn't kill her. So she's... In terrible pain. Oh, uh, no. police find her on on the trail. She lived for something like fifteen hours, Ben. Still, oh wow. Yeah, and uh, but she did die that day. And okay. she wouldn't tell them her name. Wouldn't tell them anything about her. When they asked her, her name, she just told them to shut up. So it just outright said, "I'm not going to tell you anything. Like, shut up. I want to die." That die. Time. Yeah, exactly. I want. She was saying, "I want to die." Wow. She the weird part. Well, not that. Not okay. That's weird. Yeah. She also did that to two of her pet rabbits. So they found two of her pet rabbits along with her on the trail.
3: Strange. Wow! There's something going on. I know, there.
1: really, really bizarre. I guess she was just about to be fired. She was divorced. She was just always this really, really cautious, uh, you know, character that stayed stayed herself. Very strange. I guess Carol Shelby even had gone to her and said, "I want to buy this car." Now, over the years, over the the three decades, yeah, some people knew about this car, and the offers started coming in. Like one of her childhood friends said, "Hey, I'll buy that car from you, and you know, help you pay off your house, and you know, um, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera." Um, you know what? Maybe maybe that's not. Hang on one second. I think I might have uh, might have misspoken there. Hang on. Well, one guy. Sorry about this, Ben. But um, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what? It was an attorney representing Ch- Kurt Goss. So that was right. One of one of uh, her childhood friends. Mm, the mm-hmm. attorney said, "I'll give you half a million dollars for that car." Wow. And she said, "No way. You know, just get off my property or something like that." Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the the offers began to advance, and they knew you know that she had the car. Carol Shelby himself eventually went to her with a $2 million offer. $2 million? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it just went up and up and up, right? Yeah.
3: And she said no every time.
1: Exactly. She said no every time. So um, maybe Shelby is only a million dollars now that I think about it. Anyways, we're getting, you know, it gets to the point where it's very, very expensive. Right. And she's still not full. Exactly. So she dies, and Goss, you remember this childhood friend? Yes. He knows of the car, of course. And. He says that she had instructed him, if anything happens to her, to take care of all of her belongings, including four cars. The one that she had in storage, plus three others, which were like an MG, a uh, Geo Metro, and something else. I forget what the other Geo, one was. One of those things is one. not like the other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So um, he says, okay, that's that's including the cars, and I have rights to get into the storage. And she had indeed written his name as one with access to the storage unit.
3: So Lucky break.
1: he goes over, you know, cuts the, yeah. uses the bolt cutters to cut off the lock and finds the car there, puts a new lock on, etc Then he goes about, you know, saying, I've got this great car. He yeah. did, actually, he didn't, didn't take it at that time. He tells her mother about uh, her, her own daughter's death because she had no idea. She's such a recluse that she didn't wow. know. This is like a month later. Okay, um, Her mother says, hey, I, I found this. You know, she's going through her things, her personal things in her house, finds this letter for t- an offer of $2 million for this car in storage, says... Well, yeah, I'm going to call this guy and you know we're going to get the 2 million dollars. Yeah. I'm um, thinking that, you know, it goes to her cuz she's the mother. Okay, sorry. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm getting out of breath here. She she uh she calls the person who made the made the offer for 2 million dollars, but she had done a research and found out that one had gone for 4 million dollars prior to this, one of the other six. Ah, smart. smart And knowing that this one is in rough condition, you know, the guy said, "Well, I can give you 2 for it." And she said, "I don't think that's going to do it. How about 3?" Because the four million was her perfect version, a restored sure. version. She says, how about three, and he says, "Okay, it's three million bucks." So here's her seventy-eight year old mother, who's now th- you know got three million dollars sure. for this car. But Goss still thinks he owns it.
3: Uh, he thinks that he's got
1: possession of that property, even of though a... exactly, yeah, okay, exactly. So she sold the car. She starts. She's sold the car to someone. He takes it and you know takes it away sells it to another collector on the east coast. I think it was a surgeon, a doctor of some uh, kind. Oh no. Sells it for something like 37, you know, 3 3,750,000 or something like yeah. that, right? And it you know, it just goes on and on like this. And then it was auctioned for $4 million. So it's up to $4 million at this point. However, the mother that sold it for 3 million gave away a portion of her money to a charity and I think like $850,000 to some friends and then the attorney said wait you didn't have a right to sell that so he's tied up the other 2 million dollars that she had so she can't even access uh, it's
3: like frozen it. and
1: and she owes fees for the uh, the money that he says she still owes the other 2 million dollars oh man so there's this big thing going on right and then yeah. during all this court proceeding Phil Spector's Phil, way back when you remember yeah, Phil yeah. Spector Phil Spector sends an attorney who's a messenger to say he never sold the car he just thought uh, he was giving it to brand to store it for him.
3: Really? Yeah, really. Really, Philip.
1: Really, yeah. <laughs> so Phil Spector gets involved again, and this is in you know or, you know mid two thousands, I guess. Okay. Before his little trouble, that yeah, had right. Big trouble, I should sure. say. Sure. Um, so, but the attorney is um, Robert Shapiro. Remember OJ's attorney? Yeah. So this thing has got all these great big names involved with it, and so Robert Shapiro is there saying, "No, it's Phil Spector's car, and here's why." And uh, you know they had no right to sell it, and Brand had no right to have it. Who you know Brand is now ninety years old. Yeah, his daughter is dead. Wow. The wife, who's eighty, has sold it already. You know, and given the money away, or yeah. some of it, anyways. And it's all tied up. And it's just a, a big mess. But this car has this unbelievable twist. You know, these, these the history that's involved yeah. with this thing. Yeah. And I promise you. Now I know that was long. I, I, just, <laughs> I apologize, but why well, do you, you got to stop apologizing? Man. No, I know, I know, I know. It shouldn't have been that long, but. That is the that's the Cliff Notes version of what's really going on here. If that's bare bones. If you read this thing, it, mm. it's more twisted than what I've told you. It's got it's got more twists and turns, and there's just incredible things happening with this vehicle. Mm. And I think that you know this is pretty unusual, but I think that there's a lot more. There are a lot more out there like this. Yeah, you know, where there are stories that that are really complex. Mm-hmm. And if you take time to read about them and understand the history, I think that you know a lot of these are I you don't know they're, they're Better than fiction, really.
3: And if you actually own a vehicle uh, that is used or that you're uncertain of, you know, as far as its history. It just goes to show, man. You a lot of the cars we picked obviously are very high end, recognizable cars. Mm-hmm. But you never know what happened to your car before you did, unless there was a smoker driving it. You can always tell if there was a smoker. <laughs> yeah, sure. You may have a celebrity's car in your in your
1: uh, in your garage. You never know. Right. I don't, but somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you could have the John Voight car, remember the... <laughs> from, uh, from Seinfeld. <laughs> Dinner. You know we had a, we had a Jeep one time that was owned by Bob Eaton when he was uh but but it was a different Bob Eaton. Really? Yeah, we bought it in the it not Bob a, Eaton of Chrysler. It was a different Bob Eaton. But it was a Bob Eaton in Detroit at mm-hmm. the right time when uh, when he was president so that you can say that yeah exactly basically. we had, had bob eaton's jeep
3: okay guys so uh this about wraps up for us obviously we have presented some very high value unique vehicles but it doesn't mean uh that they are by any means the only vehicles with a story out there you may own a used car and be surprised by what happened to it before it became part of your life so we'd like to send out a call to uh, everybody listening out there in the Internet land. You guys, thanks so much for uh, hanging out with us again. And uh, check with our Facebook, at Car Stuff. Check with our Twitter at CarStuff as well and uh, Scott's awesome blog. And uh, if you have a story that you think uh, the rest of the listeners should hear about your unusual car uh, or someone you know, send us an email at CarStuff at HowStuffWorks.com.
2: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new High Speed Stuff blog now on the HowStuffWorks homepage.
3: This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise.